Well, welcome, New Hope. It's good to see you. We're all glad that you're here. If you'd like to take out your outline, last week we looked at the incredibly strange concept that good people go to heaven. We tore that apart, actually, and we showed that good people actually don't go to heaven. And we looked at a couple of objections to that type of thinking. Do you remember what they were? Well, the first thing is nobody knew what was good. There's not a common standard definition of good. We've got no clue what that is. Whoever was in charge of that supposed system that good people get to heaven never told us this is what's necessary to be classified as good. And we didn't, when we looked at the Bible, while people a tendency to grab for the Bible and use the Bible. But we said we can't use the Bible because the Bible says nobody's even that good. Not even one. Not one. One meets that standard. So then we ask the question, if good people go to heaven, if that was true, that type of thinking, how are we doing? I mean, how am I doing? How are you doing? How can you tell if there isn't a standard? You know, is there a scale? Is it 50% surpass or for this grade, 60% is required to get in? We looked at the stupidity of that type of thinking. Then we talked about the real main point, Jesus taught. He's the only opinion that really matters. Not mine, nobody else's, his opinion. Because if he is God, what he says really matters. And he said, good people don't go to heaven. He said, what? Forgiven people go to heaven. Big difference. Now that left us with the idea that if you're a Christian, the Bible teaches that only forgiven people get to heaven, right? Unforgiven people don't. And there's only one source of that forgiveness. And that source of that forgiveness is in the shed blood of Christ, which we sang about today. Now, Easter is a time when we celebrate that shed blood of Jesus. And I can't believe it. This week, we're already in March. This week coming up. It's rocking around. Easter's just around the corner. And Christians celebrate at Easter what Jesus came to do. And about 2016 years ago, Jesus split history into AD and BC. It is the most significant event in history. Even world wars, like World War II, are measured and dated from a far more significant event, and that was the birth and death of Jesus Christ. AD and BC are all swung around that. And the reason why it's the most significant event in all of Earth's history is because Jesus, who was God, came to earth in the form of a human, basically God wrapped in flesh. God, we couldn't see him as he was, but he was wrapped in flesh to give us an idea of what he was actually like, so we could relate to him. And he came and he died on the cross for our sins at Easter, so that we could be part of his family and go to heaven. And three days later, he proved that he was who he said he was. Anybody can say, well, I'm going to rise from the dead. They can say that, but doing that is a different deal. And in fact, some of you might want to visit the new movie that's coming out called Risen. That will give you an insight to see what happened in the Roman world when this guy, this this son of a carpenter supposedly turned the entire establishment, the whole of the Roman Empire upside down and Jews who had followed their teaching religiously for hundreds and hundreds of years all of a sudden in one day turned that on their heads and said 
I know what mum and dad told us, but we saw a dead man walking. Whatever it is, sign me up. Don't even have to hear a sermon. Sign me up. I saw what I saw. And thousands and thousands of Jews turned their back. And it would be like this, Martin. Rather than worshipping on Sunday, they actually used to worship on Saturday. They said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to worship on Sunday. And they said, and many people said, but we're going to go to work. So they, they met on Monday nights, the equivalent. You know what I'm saying? And moving things along. It was a radical change. So much so that within one generation, Rome had become Christianized. Something happened back there. And today, billions of people all around the globe are preparing as we move towards Easter to celebrate this amazing event. And the issue I want to talk about today is why did he do that? On your outline is the most famous verse in the Bible. You see this at rugby games even. And it says, For God so loved the world, and boy did he love us, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, and last week we looked at what that actually meant. It's not put their full weight and trust in, not just, oh, well, I believe, an intellectual belief, put their full trust and confidence in him. Now, hold, do not miss that. Being a Christian is not a matter of just intellectual assent. Acknowledging the fact that Jesus died, was born, uh, born, died, and rose again. You can read that in the Encyclopedia Britannica. That doesn't make you a Christian. Putting your full trust and confidence in him, then you will not perish, but have everlasting life. That means go to heaven. Now, many people say this. Well, I believe Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Cheap talk. Cheap talk. But not everybody who claims to be a believer in Christ is a true believer. And I want you to get after this today. In fact, Jesus said this. This is one of these verses that has haunted me since I was a young Christian. Jesus is speaking. Not everybody who calls me their Lord. Not everybody who calls me their Lord will get into heaven. There's some fakes. There's some counterfeits. Only those who obey my Father in heaven will get in. Wow. What he's saying there is talks cheap. Where's the fruit? He's saying here, you can tell a true believer not by their words or just lip service, because not everybody who calls me. See, the lips are moving. In fact, many places in the Old Testament says, with your lips you profess me, but your heart is far from me. He's getting to the issue of the heart here, of the follow-through. In other words, he's saying you can't actually tell a believer by their lips service. Just because the talk the talk doesn't mean they walk the walk. See, you probably met people from time to time, and some of you who aren't Christians have probably met people like that. Who talk like heaven but live like hell. You met them and thought, Jesus, if that's a Christian, I'll never borrow that. And you may have met some people like that even at work. He's saying you've got to look at what they do to see whether they really believe. See, salvation is by faith and faith alone, but faith is the root 
but the works are the fruit. I want to give you something today to think about. How long has it since you read the book of Revelation? In there, you're probably aware of at least one book. What's one book you can think of in the book of Revelation that's mentioned? Anybody? The book of life in, whom, uh, in, in, in which the names of those who are saved are written. But there's another book. Do you know what that is? This is a shocker. The book of works. Some of you, that'll shake some of your theology, but go read it. I didn't write it. It's in there. And sometimes we have gone too far over the other extreme. So well, I just believe this stuff. I've got no responsibility in the other area. If it's not important, why is it recorded? Not saying, please hear me. Those of you on the internet, you can't see me. But I'm saying you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith and faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ. But there should be some commensurate fruit which springs from the root. So, he's saying you've got your behavior shows you what you actually believe. If I say I love my wife, I should have some commensurate actions that follow that. Otherwise, it's just mere words. And this is what Jesus is getting after in that really tough verse. In fact, he says, if you're really a true believer, your life will change. It's not business as usual. It'll change the way you act. It'll change the way you think. Look at this. If people say they have faith, anybody say they have faith? Can you see your hands? Anybody say they've got faith? Right. This is the scriptures. Head alignment here today. But they do nothing. Then their faith is worth. What's the next word? Nothing. Can faith that like that save them? Can it save them? This is Jesus' brother. He's real practical, James. He says you can't say that and have no fruit. The answer is no, it can't. Now, I've got kind of four kinds of people in my life, and so have you. Four kinds of people. I have saints in my life. I have stumblers. I have seekers. And I have skeptics. And I've had conversations with all of those this week <laughs> in my life. And I love having conversations with them all. I just want to talk about the saints for a moment. These are the people who believe and act according to their faith. There's traction. Rubbers are hitting the road and act like they're consistent. They're not merry tea towel Christians. Lukewarm. Oh, well, things are going well. Oh, praise God when things are bummed. All of a sudden they're all, ah, and they're dithery. And they get a bit shaky. They're consumed with the worries and the cares, not those types of people. But the saints are consistent. They are loving. They are kind. And they are not living for themselves. Let me put another word on that. They are not selfish. It's not all about me and my blessings and my house and my cat and my salary and when I'm away God please look after my house see Jesus is supposed to be Lord right well the way some people pray to God it seems like he's the servant and they are the Lord something's wrong there wrong orientation humanistic orientation 
But the saints are not living for themselves. It's not all about them. Then I've got other friends in my life, and I love them just as much, and I call them stumblers. And they are the people that think they know Jesus. They really do think that. They even talk about him a bit, but they don't really act like him. In fact, they're living very self-centered lives. They're living for themselves. And, doing, uh, and they're doing a lot of things different to what Jesus would tell us to do. The third group of friends I have in my life, and I love hanging out with these guys. These are seekers. And they're the people who are trying to be intellectually honest. They call a spade a spade. No political correctness. They just ask it as it is. And they're really trying to check out this Christianity. They're, they're, they're really interested because they realize there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life. And they say things like, well, tell me more what it really means to be a believer. And then the fourth group of friends I have in my life that I love to, and I spent some time with them, even the last night, are the skeptics. And they haven't yet recognized that life without God doesn't make sense. And all of us are in one of those four categories, and we've all got friends. We either know Christ and act like it, or... We think we know about Christ, but we don't act like it consistently, or we're kind of checking it out, or we haven't even recognized God's presence in this world like Romans 1 talks about. Now, Easter is a fresh chance to recognize the profound implications of this amazing event that happened. He says this, finishing up the previous verse, you have to sort of back up a little bit here. He says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but, contrast, have everlasting life. In other words, I want you to be in heaven. So as we come towards Easter, I want to settle this issue of what it really means, not fake and phony stuff, to believe in Jesus Christ. See, faith is kind of like a, a multifaceted diamond, and it's, whichever way you look at it, it kind of looks, it's got different aspects to it. I want to look at five quick different angles, what it really means, what it really means to have faith, in no particular order. And the first thing it means to believe in Jesus is, I follow his example. I follow his example. Everybody has an example they follow. Who are you following? Donald Trump? <laughs> Sorry, we've just been having a conversation about Donald. Some of you follow and modeling your part of your life after Gareth Morgan. Point is, if you do not decide who you are going to model your life after, the media will pressure you, other people will pressure you. Your peers will pressure you. Culture will pressure you. And the Bible says, don't let the culture push you into its mold. You ought to be a different people. In fact, the Bible calls us an upside-down people. Upside-down. That's completely different to the world. Let's not forget this. Sometimes we want to be so schmoozy with the world, we forget that we're supposed to be salt Stand out and light, not in a bombastic, um, arrogant way, but we are to be different in our values and the way we act. 
the way we fo- what we follow. Some people follow m- more of the movies than they do of uh, than they spend with Jesus. Many people will spend more time watching movies than they will actually even in the Word of God. So you tell me what what shapes your values, what sh- fills your appetite. Because nothing will ultimately satisfy apart from the ultimate. Everything else is just clay. Now, Jesus Christ is the only perfect example to follow in your life. He is the most countercultural example, radical revolutionary you could ever imagine. And friends, can I say this to you? It does take courage to follow him and to stand against the world and its pressures. To just follow along mindlessly. Jesus says this, you will be blessed whenever you what? Follow my example. Follow my example. Now one thing I would like to suggest to you, to consider. Did Jesus spend his time climbing the corporate ladder? See, our culture says you're making it in this life if you're upwardly mobile. Do you know what I mean by that? Jesus said, uh-uh, you got that wrong. He said, you want to be the greatest in my kingdom? You need to be the servant of all. That's downwardly mobile. See, Jesus descended into greatness. Interesting. Different to the culture. Everywhere Jesus Christ went, he told people to follow him. In fact, 21 times in the Bible, he says, follow me. You follow me, and you follow me. I like that. He is not saying, hey, follow this fancy philosophy, all these fantastic set of principles, because they are pragmatic and they work. Well, they do, but that's not the reason. Follow me. He said, don't follow programs and principles. Follow a person. Not a code or of ethics or a liturgy. Follow me. And if you don't get anything else I say today, get this. God wants a living, growing, ever-increasing relationship with you. Just like you want one with your spouse. Just like you want one. Not a stale one, a growing, ever-increasing one. God isn't interested, just to be clear about this, in religion. Just as the same way that your spouse isn't interested in a stale relationship that just natters words and has got no heart behind it. God is interested in relationship, not religion. And that's why he sent Jesus to move all that religious hoo-ha out the way and get to the relationship. Now when you begin living a relationship with Jesus, what happens? You get all sorts of benefits. And those two I wanted to share with you for those who are not yet Christian and to clarify for those of you who are Christian. Number one of those benefits that when you, when you follow Jesus, you get stability. You may want to just write that out the side somewhere. Stability. And the other one, I'll just make it quick for you, is clarity. Please write those down if you're taking notes. Stability and clarity. First, I'll get clarity. This means things get much clearer in my life. I all of a sudden see relationships in a different, uh, with a different perspective. My future becomes better. I'll tell you what happened to me. My sin becomes clearer. When I have a real relationship with Jesus. It's not just, oh God, thank you. Uh, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you very much. I'm in. 
The first thing you'll know is God wants you to get specific about that sin and actually own it. Not just bypass it. Clarity. My, my priorities become clearer. Because everybody thinks their things are a priority. Everything gets clearer. I'm not so easily distracted because my priorities are clearer. And I have more direction in my life. So I've got more focus and clarity in my life. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Okay? The light is dark. Poof. Here's a picture. I am the light. Now, when you get the light, you go towards the light. Now, look at this. He says here, if you follow me, you won't be stumbling. You'll get clarity through the darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. You know what it is? Because Jesus doesn't make mistakes when he gives you guidance. Just check. It is his guidance, not your own wishes or anybody else's wishes for your life. He never makes mistakes. Ever feel like you're just kind of stumbling around in life? Where the heck am I going? Going nowhere. If you ever feel that, could I suggest to you humbly that you're probably not following Jesus clearly? Because there he says, if you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness. See the difference? That's one of the ways we can look at that. Because when you follow him, he makes things clear. Second thing that happens when I follow Jesus is I get stability. In other words, I get a solid foundation on which to build my life. Not long ago, I was in Israel, and I saw the incredible buildings that are still there 2,000 years later. Odds of surviving such harsh storms and the things of life over 2,000 years are still there. But you could have a rock for your life because you are going to have storms in your life, unexpected ones. Some of you already experienced some of them. Some of you have had financial storms in your life. And they came by surprise. Some that weren't such a surprise. I'll tell you what, you will definitely have. You're waiting for this? Relational storms. You're going to have those. And if you get married, oh boy, young people, you're going to have some marriage storms. So did you all hear that? No? You're going to have some. All of us who are married are smiling at the moment. <laughs> you young people, be aware of that. You're going to have some of those. Some of you are going to have some health storms. Sadly, some of you sitting here are going to have, or in fact, all of us are. Everyone that was in the same boat, we're going to have people that we love die. And there's some emotional storms that are just going to feel like you've been thrown up in the air. What's going to be your stability when that happens? Well, Jesus says this. All who listen to my instruction, well, everybody's doing that now. What about the second part? There's a big logical connector here. The word is and. So in logic, both have to be true. Are you listening to the word of God right now? Yes or no? Yes. So to get this, you have to do the second part. It's an and, not or. Both have to be true. Listen to the word of God. Follow my instruction. And follow them. If you do both of them, then you're wise who build, like, who, like a man who built his house upon the rock. Both have to, easy to listen. The second part is what we're after this morning. And does it. Next, when I really believe Jesus, I accept his grace. Second thing it means to be a real believer, not a phony one, not the one we looked at in Matthew 7, is I follow his example, and secondly, I accept his grace. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at Romans 5. 
Those who accept God's, oh, God's full grace, the greatest gift of being made right with him. In other words, God wipes away all the things that you and I have done wrong and he forgives you. That's not justice, that's grace. We'll surely have true life and rule through Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace means when God gives you what you don't deserve. He does something for you that you don't deserve. Grace is when God gives you what you need, not what you actually deserve. Now, one of the things I need most, and we've sung about that today, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is an outworking of grace. And God says, I forgive you for what you've done. I just was reading that this this week. A guy called David Hagler was an umpire of a baseball team. And he was one day in a rush to practice, and he was driving a little bit too fast, foot in the, uh, foot in the gas. And a cop pulled him over and gave him a ticket. And this guy, David, tried really hard to sort of like, you know, wow, wow, I'm a bit late, got all these kids waiting for me, and telling him how he's worried, you know, that if he get a ticket, then his insurance will go up, and how what well, a normally careful driver he was. And the officer said, well, if he didn't like it, go to court, and proceeded to write him a ticket. Now, the very first game of the season, he's umpiring behind home plate. He's an umpire at this baseball. And coincidentally, the first batter up was that same policeman <laughs> who'd written him the ticket. Immediately, he says, I recognised him. But more important, he recognised who I was. And he kind of nervously asked, uh, how did that thing with the ticket go? You know, how, how did it go? And I told him, you better swing at everything. <laughs> Sometimes we don't show each other grace. You didn't let me off the hook, and I ain't letting you off the hook. It's a mentality. The fact is, God shows you and I grace every day of our lives. Everything you have is because of God. Your freedom, your life, your health. Your body, the air you breathe. I remember seeing in California across one of our freeways, it said, imagine if air, the price of air, if it came to us by any other supplier. <laughs> It'd be very expensive, right? When it comes to blowing it and making mistakes, God shows you his grace, even though you and I don't deserve it. If you trust in Christ, look at this next verse. Now, God says he will accept and acquit us. In other words, declare us not guilty for all the things that you and I have done wrong. If we trust Christ to take away our sins, we can all be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we've been like. Now, regardless, therefore, of your ethnic background, of your religious background, of your economic background, it doesn't matter a hell of beans. You can still come to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm so glad that God gives us this chance. He's not the kind of three strikes and you're out real like the umpire. <laughs> you got three and that's it. So how do you get grace in your life? Well, you can't earn it. You certainly can't work for it. You don't deserve it. There's only one way you can access that is by admitting your need for it. You swallow your pride and your ego and you say, I realize I need God. And you say, God, I need your grace because I'm not perfect. I have sinned. And heaven's perfect and I'm not. And there's no chance I'm going to make it into a perfect place on my own merits. 
So I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. That is called humility. And God always gives grace to the humble. But he is on the other side of that equation, opposed to the proud. So the Bible says this, unless you accept God's kingdom, in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. You just come and say, God, I need your help. And Easter is about grace and saying, God, I need your help. Now, one of the things we have seriously done, I have done, I will admit to you in my life, I have seriously undercalled the seriousness of sin. Sin is way beyond, this is a subject for another message. In fact, that was one I was working on this week and I had to change it. But it is so gargantuan that Jesus had to come himself to sort it. The problem was unbelievably large. But Easter is about grace of God that he offers to you. Question to you, will you accept that help? The third thing. It really means to really believe in Jesus, and this is important, is that I invest my life in him. What I'm saying, folks, is there is far more to your life. You get 80 years here, if you're lucky, 80, 90. That's it. Compared to eternity, it's a gnat's whisker. In other words, diddly squat. There's far, more to he- he- uh, there's far more than just here and now. There's an eternity. And the purpose of life is not acquisitions of things. You know why? You're not going to even keep them. You may get them if they last. Because uh, I don't know about you, but most of my stuff breaks. It does. I'm not going to get to keep them anyway. So you have three choices with your life. You can either waste your life chasing things that will never last. Secondly, you can spend your life in a way that will be honoring to God because you only get one of those. And three, you can invest it. So God gives you freedom of choice though, but you are not free from the consequences of that. You're always free to make your choice. I noticed the other day, I really reflect on the fact that God didn't even intervene in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve, they were free to make their choice after he made it clear but they were not free of the, 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 the consequences of their choices, and the same is for us. You and I make choices on this planet that have eternal implications. So choose wisely. Think carefully. Think carefully about why you're doing what you're doing. Because you are betting your life on it. Now, Jesus Christ did not come to die on the cross for your sins so that you could go to heaven and so you could continue living a self-centered life. That is not what he came to do. In fact, the Bible says this. I want us to all get this next passage up here. Can you pop it up in the scripture on the screen, guys? Yeah, from Romans 6. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new, a new life no longer live to please themselves. Let me read that again. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. There it is. That's the proof. Instead, what do they do? They live to please Christ. Question, are we, am I, are you? Are we as a church living to please Christ? Because that's the purpose. Who died and was raised for them. God says when we are truly following Jesus, you are living for his plan 
and you're living for his purposes. We are not living for our purposes. That's what that says. Now, the Bible encourages us this way. It says, give yourself half-heartedly to God. Look at that. What does it say? It says, give yourselves completely. How about 80%? Give yourself completely to God, every part of you, for you have been saved from death and you want to be, you want to be, this is good for you to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His purposes. See, we've got this balance. His or mine. His purposes or mine. You say, well, what about me? But remember, you know this well. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things. But it's the order. People want to say, Jesus is Lord, but they want to live like this. The Bible encourages us, give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you, for you've been saved. This is the reason you've been saved from death. And you want to be tools in the hands of God, used for his good purposes. Now God says, this is the difference between the world's success. And God said, no, no, no. Significance in my kingdom is what your life's about. The world pressures us into this balance. God says, this is the balance I want you to have. See, I've got a lot of successful friends. And the problem I've noticed is that some of them, in the world standards, even though they may have megabucks, more than all of us put together, hundreds of millions of US dollars, many of them are not satisfied because they always want a little bit more. Because you were made for success, uh, not, not success, you were made for significance. Now, Jesus talks about this concept of investing your life to those who use well. And invest what they've been given. Now, it's no, that, that, please do not misread that. That doesn't mean take all your money, stick it in, the, in some investment and make more and more and more and more for you and then your family and then your grandchildren and then your grandchildren's grandchildren. That's not what he's saying. You're misreading that. Go look, read that. For those who use well and invest what they've been given by God, even will be given to them. What, what do you think God wants to do that? Just to, for themselves? But for those who are unfaithful with what they've been given, remember God gave it to you in the first place, in what little they have will be taken away from them. Here's what he's saying. God has made an investment in your life. And one day you're going to stand before God. He's going to ask you two questions, what we've touched on today. The two questions are, what did you do with my son? The one I sent forth to earth to die for your sins. Did you follow him? Or were you, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did this and we did this and we did this. And he says, actually, I didn't know you. So did you follow him? Means applying his word. Did you ever accept his grace? Is the second thing we talked about. And then he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? Not your sister, not your brother, not your mother. What did they, what, whatever put in your hand, whatever skills, whatever talents, whatever opportunities I gave to you, is this just all around you? Or oh, thank you, God, I really appreciate that. With no thought to his kingdom. He says, well, Lord, maybe I, I live for myself with all the stuff you gave me. Then I retired, and then I died. And God's like, what? Do you think God put you on earth to live for yourself? How do real Jesus followers actually use their lives? You only get one. Well, what are we to do with the life that God has given us? We're not to just use it on ourselves is a message here. We're to use it to help others. Now, look what Peter said. Peter was feeling a bit nervous about this time. Oh, we, get, we had a perfectly viable fishing business. It was doing good. 
and we left it all for you. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. What will we get out of it? Typical, you know. Well, I did this. What am I going to get? What's the value equation here? And Jesus replied, I assure you of this. In heaven, where? In heaven. Doesn't say on earth. In heaven. Anyone who has given up anything to follow me will receive a hundred times as much in return. And, oh, by the way, will receive eternal life. But for those who are unfaithful, oh, that's a different one as well. Okay. So he says, whatever you give up to do God's purpose and plan, you will get eternal life plus restored a hundredfold in eternity. Don't ever buy into that thinking, well, what a gift to God, you know, I expect to get that back all here all the time. That's fallacious thinking. It's very difficult, very, uh, the proof of that is very, well, yeah, there isn't a lot of good scriptural proof for that. You say, well, what could I do? Well, whatever you're good at, whatever you're good at, God can use that. Whatever you are good at, God can use it to help other people. And that's part of what it means to believe in Jesus. T, trust. Trust in his wisdom and his strength. Not in your own. Trust in his wisdom and his strength. See, this is when your ideas conflict with his. What it's saying there is pick his, not yours. Because you can't see everything. He can. And he never makes a mistake. The Bible says this in Colossians 2. Just as you trusted Christ to save you. Right? You did that. Trust him with each day's problems too. Live in vital union with him. See the implication of the relationship there? Live in vital union. This is not just pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on your plate while you wait. Right now, today. So you trust him at the beginning of your life and through the life of faith, and then you trust him for each day's problems too. That's about trust. And then you trust him to serve you and save you eternally. So faith is about trusting, trusting God's wisdom and trusting God's strength in my life. See, wisdom shows me what to do, but God also gives me the power to do it. That's the strength. I've got to have both. Romans 8 says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and have been called according to his purposes. And Paul is saying here that God can use all things to help bring us to maturity. That's a different way of looking at life. And even in the worst that life throws at us, God can work through my circumstances to make me more like him. So Jesus says this, when you trust me, I'll give you power and strength. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. Great verse. Let's read it together. Philippians 4.13. Let's read it aloud. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that... There's the two words, strength and the power. He gives you both when you trust him. How do you know when you're not trusting him? Here's the easiest way out. You worry. You worry. Anybody else familiar with this word? (laughs) Know what I'm talking about? Worry. When you're worrying, you are not trusting. And when I'm trusting, I'm not worrying. My stress goes down, my peace quotient goes up. So Jesus Christ can help you with those worries because worries can be consuming. 
I know Christians who say, I follow Jesus, but I'm worried. I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is where we're talking and not acting. We need to take out that word. Get into this. Look at this verse here. Proverbs 3.5. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen from God's voice in everything you do. Wherever you go, he's the one who'll keep you on track. Now, there's a lot of ways to deal with worry in your life. And one of them I've found, you might think this is quite strange in our culture, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. One of the ways I've found to deal with worry is to recall and sing a song in my head. If you sing the right song, it has the ability to reset your thinking. You know, like you have a problem with your computer sometimes, you get to reset it. It's doing things going round and round and round. You can't get control of the thing. So you reset it. And singing a song gets the right, with the right words, gets, it helps reset your thinking. It helps it's you re- reset your heart and your emotions. And you can, it helps you think in a different way. Now, on your communication card, I have a friend called Rick Mutchow. And Rick wrote a brilliant song called Trust God. If you want a free MP3 of that, which is giving me permission to give to only our church, do not pass it on to anybody else or sell it. Just write trust on your communication card and I'll be sure to send you a free MP3. And we'll give you it this week. The last facet of faith is this. True believers actually hold on with tenacity to God's promises. There are many promises in the Bible for you. Promise for that inner peace. Inner peace. Many people tell me when they become Christians, one of the biggest changes they realize is inner peace. The promise of provision. Now notice it is for your need and not your greed. That is biblically justifiable. God's provision is for your need, not your greed. Secondly, uh, thirdly, actually, God also gives you uh, promises in the Bible about loneliness. Lots of opportunities to learn to trust God. Now, the reason why you worry is you really don't know what God promises to do in your life. And the Bible tells us that God is truth and he cannot lie. The Bible says that God can't break his word. That means all these promises he's made. So that we, we who have trusted our very lives to, the God, to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands. See the picture here? Grab him with both hands and never let go. In other words, hang on. Never let go. Now, some of you aren't even aware of some of the promises in the Word of God. And maybe it's one of those small group studies you may want to look at together, the major promises in the Bible. And if you'd like a list of those two, again, on your communication card, you need to write the word promises. Please make sure your email is clearly spelt correctly in case some of you have changed it too. Promises. And I'll send you a list of some of those. It'll get you started. Now, one of the greatest promises in the Bible is he says this, I will never stop loving you. We sing about that today. The Bible says nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Death can't even do it. Life can't even do it. All the stuff that comes in life. Angels and demons can't. Our fears for today. Our worries about tomorrow. See, see, God is outside of time. He's already there. He says, don't worry about that. I know exactly how it's going to work out. Chill. Be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, may your requests be made known to me. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. 
whether a high above in the sky or the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in who? In Christ Jesus. A person, not a program, not a philosophy, not a religion, not a regulation, in a person. You can't make God stop loving you. Because God's love is not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. And he says, I will never stop loving you. Now, maybe today you're listening to this and you have been rejected. Oh, yeah, that hurts with a capital H. You've been rejected by somebody. You know the pain of rejection. And you know what it feels like to be unwanted. You've been given the flick. This doesn't matter whether you're a teenager being dropped by your boyfriend. Jesus says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. Your mother and father might, but I will not. That's how intimate he is. Listen to some of the other promises that are attached to Easter. Because Jesus came at Easter and died on the cross, it says this. Jesus said, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live again. He's talking about heaven here. He is given eternal life for believing in me and shall never perish. That promise is rock solid. And you can take that not just in your life, but into eternity. That'll never change. God's truth never changes. Another one. The Bible says, because Jesus was raised from me. That's what Easter's all about. We've been given a brand new life. That means you get to start over and everything to live for. In other words, you've got a real purpose to live for. That real life that Jesus talked about. Not the other stuff that the world hands out. says, all do this, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be fulfilled. Including a future in heaven. That's God's retirement plan, not down here. Can I humbly suggest in there, just say that very humbly, but clearly, for a Christian, there's no such thing as a retirement it's repurposing. You've got eternity for that. Be about God's business, not collecting shells or playing golf. There is limited time to do this. Limited time, very important mission. You say, well, how do I get this grace? And the future start now, starts now. It says, how do you get this? You take the first step. I've written on your outline a very short believer's prayer. Some of you today are in just checking out Christianity. You know, I just want to read it through for you. Then I want us to pray it together. Let me just read it to you so we know what we're saying, so there's no surprises. I wrote this prayer and said, Dear Jesus, I want to have real faith in you, not fake faith. Thank you for dying for my sins and showing me how to live. Today, I want to become a true believer in you. I want to follow your example. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for a purpose, and I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust your wisdom and your strength, and I want to hold on to the promises when times are tough. Friends, this is what it means to be a true believer. Whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you today ready to accept that? Let's bow our heads and pray as I pray that again.
for those of you, you can just bow your head and you can look at that. There's no magic about closing your eyes apart from it helps you to focus. You may just want to look down at that prayer. And in your mind, you can just think, me too, God. Or you can just read it aloud in your mind as I read it. And make it your prayer if that's your desire today. Say, dear Jesus, I want to have real faith in you, not fake faith. Thank you for dying for my sins. And showing me the way to live. Today, I want to become a true believer in you. I want to follow your example. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for a purpose. And I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust your wisdom and your strength and I want to hold on to your promises when times are tough. Amen. Father, thank you for the time in your word today. I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts of your people and that you would move each person one step closer to you, that you'd deeply disturb some others. You bring healing and comfort to others and hope in life eternal. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all the people said, Amen.